Before we read the Word of God, let us receive the instruction from the Shorter Catechism, number 34, printed in the bulletin. This is um, in preparation for the hearing, the reading and hearing of God's Word. What is adoption? Adoption is the act of God's free grace by which we become His children with all the rights and privileges of being His. Let us pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we rejoice that in your Son, Jesus Christ, you have adopted us as your own children, beloved in Christ. And so in his name, we pray that you will send forth the Holy Spirit upon us afresh, anew, to open our minds, to open our hearts. Speak your word, O Lord, we pray and build us up in faith, hope, and love. To the glory of your name, amen. Reading of Holy Scripture comes from Romans 8. The reading will begin at verse 14 through 17. It is written, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And now to him who loves us, who has freed us from our sins by his blood, to Jesus Christ be all praise, honor, and glory forever and ever. Amen. Well, you may have noticed something a bit surprising about today's scripture passage and sermon title. Let me explain. This is number 36 in the series through Romans, but it's part two of sermon number 32. (laughs) That's right, we're going back to where we were four weeks ago, looking again at Romans 8, 14 through 17. I know that some of you all have been wondering if we're really ever going to finish this series through Romans. Now I know you're really wondering since Pastor Mabry is going backwards. But there's a method to my madness. So please bear with me. And I really want, I really do want you to understand what's going on here. Four weeks ago in sermon number 32 based on this same passage, we focused and we drilled down deep on the marvelous, mind-boggling blessing of our adoption as the spirit-born children of God, the Father, the brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ. And we exclaimed in the words of 1 John 3, 1, See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. Remember that? <laughs> Do you remember that? Okay. And we... We, we saw that our adoption as children of the Father means that, as, as 
incomprehensible as this is, God the Father loves his children in Christ with the same love and the same degree of love with which he has eternally loved his only begotten eternal son, Jesus Christ. He loves you. He loves me as much as he loves Jesus. Now that sounds heretical, but it's not. It's gospel. We, we, we saw from verse 15 that as the brothers and sisters of Jesus, we may draw intimately near to the Father and pray to him with the same tender, childlike intimacy as did Jesus himself in his prayer, Abba, Father, which means dear Father, beloved Father, sweet Father. And then verses 16 and 17 go further in telling us that if or since we are children of God, we are heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. We are children of the King who are going to inherit the kingdom of God because the Father has adopted us as his spirit-born children with a full status as the brothers and sisters of his only begotten eternal Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. It is amazing and it is true. Now, that's a summary review of the sermon on the the passage from four weeks ago. And the big point is the assurance and the security of our eternal salvation in Christ. And, and, And that gets us today to part two. But why wait? Why wait four weeks for part two? Well, that's a good question. And the answer is, this idea of this part two came to me as Pastor Jonathan and I discussed the context of our congregational life. Now, as we are concluding the summer and moving into the fall, as we are now really seeing the progress of the construction of the new sanctuary, Pastor Jonathan and I felt the need or or, or saw the opportunity to go back to this theme of our adoption as the children of God and make some practical applications for our congregational life. So this is going to be a different kind of sermon today. If you were here four weeks ago, you heard the exegetical, theological exposition of this passage. If you weren't here, you can download it from the website or get a CD from the church office. What I'm going to do now in this part two is take the theological truth of our adoption in Christ and make some connections to some very practical points concerning our congregational life. I'm well aware that I'm making some leaps in order to make these applications. And what I mean is, this passage doesn't sound like it's about practical concerns of congregational life. And it's not. At least, that's not its primary subject. The primary subject, again, is the assurance and security of our salvation as the adopted brothers and sisters of Jesus. But now hang on a minute. Let's think about that. Make the leap with me. If we are the adopted children of God, if we are the adopted brothers and sisters of Jesus, then who are we in relation to one another? 
When you meditate on the mind-boggling blessing of your adoption as a son or daughter of God, and I hope that you do, when you meditate on the mystery of what it means to be a brother or sister of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I hope that you do, do you think of these glorious truths only in terms of you yourself as an isolated individual in your relationship with Christ, you and God the Father, you and Jesus? Or do you think about these glorious truths also in terms of your being one of many brothers and sisters of Jesus as a member of a family, a very close family, a loving family, supportive family, a caring family in which there is nurture and discipline and loyalty and ultimately your identity. Do you think about this passage and your adoption in terms of belonging? You, you belong. If you belong to Jesus, you belong to his family. And that means that we, as the brothers and sisters of Jesus, children of God, belong to one another. So your adoption as a child of God is not just, not merely, about you as an individual all by yourself in relation to God. It's about you as one of his children, plural, in close relationship with his other children, all of whom are members of his household, his family, united by our brother Jesus. And by the way, this point is embedded in this text. You can get this point out of this text because, did you notice... When it speaks of our adoption, it always uses plural terms. Sons, we, children, heirs. This passage is speaking to us as a corporate unit, a family. Families have individual members, yes, but those individual family members receive their identity from their family. You know what? I say it all the time, and it's a fact. I said it just a few days ago. Just a few days ago. I'm Pat and Mary's brother. I'm Henry's brother-in-law. Family identity. I'm also the pastor of Covenant Presbyterian Church. Family identity. Is that how you think and feel about your relationship to the church, the family of God? Now, just the other day in a faraway place, someone whom you do not know, in casual conversation, referred to the church where my husband and I attend. Now, we all talk like that all the time, and it, I know it's very normal, it's very natural to refer to the church where I attend. And there's nothing wrong with it, except for the fact that there's something wrong with it. We've got a misconception stuck in our brains 
that the church is a place where we attend. Now, I know that in modern English, we do use the word church in that way. And in fact, we've got a sign in the yard that says Covenant Presbyterian Church. You can look it up in the phone book or on the website. And Oh, my goodness, I saw it even on this bulletin. Covenant Presbyterian Church, 1901 Milton Street. Well, it is what it is, and we can't change the fact that in modern English the word church is often used to refer to a building in a place or to uh, an ecclesiastical institution. But that is a secondary or tertiary, lower-level meaning of the word church. We actually get the English word church from a Greek New Testament word, kurios. You know what kurios means? It means Lord, as in the Lord, Jesus Christ. And so our English word church came into existence with the primary meaning of the Lord's. The Lord's people, the people who belong to the Lord, the family of the Lord. Would you please put that definition first and foremost in your mind? The church is not a place where you attend. The church is not a place that you go to. The church is a family you belong to. The Lord's family. If you will really make that shift in your mind, it will shift your heart and your life. Let, let's say it again. The church is not a place that you go to. The church is a family that you belong to, the Lord's family. Now, that point raises this question. Now, Pastor John, are you talking about the church universal, the one worldwide church comprised of all believers in Christ throughout history, throughout the world? Or are you talking about the local congregation? Good question. The answer is yes. Yes, I'm talking about the one worldwide or universal church comprised of true believers in Christ throughout history, which was what the Apostles' Creed means by the words holy Catholic church. The one worldwide church. Universal Church. And yes, I'm talking about the particular local congregation under the oversight of pastors and elders. I'm talking about both at the same time because you cannot talk about either without the other. Because the universal worldwide church finds its expression, its manifestation in particular local congregations, local churches. That's very, very clear in the letters of the New Testament, which most of which were written to particular local churches. So the local church is the household, the family of God, as a, a particularized expression of the worldwide family or household of God. So, Now, I realize that when, when, when believers are in transition, 
It often takes a while for them to find a new home, make sure, get to know the people, get to know the pastors, understand the doctrine, settle in before joining. And that takes time, and it ought to take time. And visitors, we want you to take your time in getting to know us before you join. So there's no pressure here, and you know that you haven't been pressured. But some of you know who you are. It's time to stop attending and become a member of the family. And let me say this in all seriousness. That's not a sales pitch from the pulpit. It's a biblical principle. It is biblical Christianity. It's an outworking. It is a practical, personal, real-life application of what it means to be adopted into the family of God through faith in Jesus Christ, our brother. Because it puts flesh and blood, real life experience, living out a shared life together with brothers and sisters in a family of a local congregation, which is what you find in the letters of the New Testament. Now, it doesn't stop there. This also has to do with the members of our congregation growing in our familial, family relationships with one another as brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ. Now, six times in the New Testament, we are explicitly exhorted to love one another with brotherly love or brotherly affection. And that word brotherly means familial, family love, as siblings close together. And it it is not mere sentimentality. It is a family love which flows out of the love which our brother Jesus Christ poured out on the cross in order to make us his brothers and sisters. That's a costly love. It is the love poured out on the cross by which Jesus, the Son of God, made us his brothers and sisters to bring many sons to glory. Which means that our love for one another in Christ, if it is real, will be a costly love for one another. A love that is willing to sacrifice for one another. A love that is willing to serve one another. A love that is willing to hold one another accountable. A love that is demonstratively expressed toward one another. A love that welcomes one another as family, even as Christ himself has welcomed us into his family. Can you, I mean, make that shift. Jesus Christ has welcomed you into his family. Let us welcome one another as family. So so let me ask all our members this question. Now, here's another illustration of this big idea. Here we go. When you gather for worship on Sunday, do you think of yourself as a customer in a restaurant? Now, there you are with a lot of other people, some you know, some you don't, doing the same thing at the same time, eating, But really, you're not with them. You're really there by yourself and and doing that by yourself, for yourself. Or 
rather small group of people amidst a larger group. You, you just happen to be in the same place at the same time doing the same thing with a bunch of other disconnected, isolated individuals. Are you a customer in a restaurant? When you gather here for worship, you think of yourself really, I mean really think of yourself as a member of the family sitting down at the family dining room table with your family for the most special meal of the week. Can you make that shift? Would you please make that shift? Because the family of God expressed in this particular local family of Covenant Presbyterian Church has has experienced fairly remarkable numerical growth in the last five years. We come from a lot of different locales and backgrounds, and that's great. But as we grow numerically, it's vitally important that we grow relationally. The need for relational growth. The need for relational growth. Everybody, you know, people say to me, you know, all the time, oh, you're building a new sanctuary, you're busting at the seams, you're busting at, you know. As though it's just about numbers. Friends, hear me. It's not just about numbers. It's not about numbers. It's about growing as the family of God, the children of God, the brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ. Relational growth is the reason that the session, your elders, who are the overseers of your souls, are encouraging you to participate in a small group this fall. You'll be hearing more about that. And encouraging you to get to know and engage with and care for your brothers and sisters in your neighborhood group. Even something as mundane as getting your photo and contact information uploaded onto the online church directory is a way of helping to build our familial relationships in this local church. Now you may be asking me, Pastor John, is all that stuff what this passage is about? Is that really in there? No. Yes. Yes, it is. If we take seriously the doctrine of our adoption as the children of God and apply it and live it out in our personal, practical lives as members of Covenant Presbyterian Church. Can you make the shift? The fall is coming, a new Sunday school year is coming. For the sake of relational growth, for the sake of growing stronger as a family, we're going to have junior high, high school, college students, younger adults, middle adults, and older adults all together in one great big family Sunday school class. We've never done it that way before. And we're going to be, we're going to be studying about some of our family ancestors, studying the family tree of our brothers and sisters in Christ who came before us in the Protestant Reformation of the 16th century, the 500th anniversary of which we celebrate this year. So come and learn some family history. That's a big deal. You know, you can go on the website and learn about your ancestry. Well, come to Sunday school, learn about your family ancestry. And visitors are welcome. And we'll be having children's Sunday school, as you heard announced, and children's nursery and young children's catechism during worship. And... 
we don't need volunteers. We need family members to assume family responsibilities. By family members who assume family responsibilities, I mean church family members who will assume their responsibilities in the life of the church family. There's the shift. Don't do your time at the church. Be the church. Will you make that shift? I know that not everybody can serve in the nursery. Not everybody can teach children's Sunday school or children's catechism. I understand. But if you are somebody who can, be somebody who does. Why? Because these little brothers and sisters of Jesus are your brothers and sisters. That's why I said we don't need volunteers. I don't like that word, volunteers, in the vocabulary of the church. You're not a volunteer. Your life doesn't belong to you. You've been bought with a price. You've been called by God through Christ at the cost of his own blood to live as a member of his family, to care for his family, to strengthen his family, to serve in his family, to share in the joy that comes from seeing the family of Jesus Christ prosper and thrive. So think about this. It is exciting to see the progress on the new sanctuary. And I am excited. I'm very excited. I've been taking pictures and sending them all around. And I'm very thankful. I'm very, very thankful. And your excitement, your financial generosity and faithfulness, your spiritual unity throughout this process have been really, really wonderful and continue to be so. In this, But you know what? I think this is a family endeavor. That's what it feels like to me. But brothers and sisters of Jesus, please let me remind you that this new sanctuary, as beautiful as it will be, will not be as beautiful as the brotherly family love of this congregation that comes from the presence of the Holy Spirit within us and among us. And this new sanctuary will not be as important as the new construction of new spiritual family relationships within this congregation as we grow. The most beautiful and the most important thing will be the way in which we as the brothers and sisters of Jesus live as a true and faithful family of Christ. If indeed we are in Christ by faith, then we have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So as we meditate on the marvelous, mind-boggling blessing of our adoption as children of the Father, Brothers and sisters of Jesus, let us live that out in real life as members of his family who belong to him by grace and therefore belong to one another. And to God be the glory 
Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Our gracious Father, we thank you for your word which leads and guides us in the way of life to glorify you. And we pray that you would take the word and plant it deep in our hearts and water it with your spirit and help it to grow and bear much fruit for the glory of your name. Through Christ our Savior. Amen. In response to the gospel of Jesus Christ, let us stand to affirm our faith as it is expressed in the Heidelberg Catechism, question and answer number one. Christian, what is your only comfort in life and in death? My only comfort is that I belong, body and soul, in life and in death, not to myself but to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. At the cost of his own precious blood, he has fully paid for all my sins and has set me free from the dominion of the devil. He also watches over me so well that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. Indeed, all things must work together to fit his purpose for my salvation. Therefore, because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, also assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly ready and willing from now on to live for him. Amen.